deny your unbelief and pray. Deny your unbelief and pray. Richard, could you turn the treble and take the bass off? Test one, two, check one, two. Check one, two, check one, two. Check one, two. Testing one, two. Testing one, two, testing one, two. Check one, two. And could you reduce it some as well? It's too loud. Check one, two, check one, two. Check one, two. Testing one, two. Is it better? Okay, thank you. Oh Lord, you promised me tonight you were going to do something. And Lord, I just give this, this whole time to you. Lord, you do the work in our hearts as you choose. You speak the word through my mouth that you choose. Lord, I lay aside all of my plans and all my ideas. I'm simply here for you. You've put a word on my heart. I ask you to quicken it in the name of Jesus. Thank you, mighty King. Thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father. That means as we come before the Lord to pray, we are all brothers and sisters. You cannot pray the heart of Jesus and be separated from a brother or a sister. You have to come and say, Our, our Father. Not my Father. You can't be His Father if you're my Father because we're not brothers. You can't pray that way. It's our. It's our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name or holy be your name. Precious is your name. Separate is your name. Unlike me is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, I'm saying right at the beginning of my prayer to the Lord, I want you to exercise your will here in the same way you exercise your will in heaven.
In other words, over my marriage, I want you to exercise your authority in the same way you exercise your authority in heaven. Over my job, I'm asking you to exercise your authority over my job in the same way you exercise your authority in heaven. And I will submit to your authority. I will give myself to your authority because I'm asking for your will to be done. Not my will, your will. And then we come to this statement that has always puzzled me. Give us today our daily bread. Well, I'm not interested in my bread for today. I'm interested in my bread for tomorrow. I'm a planner. I've learned that I have to figure out how to make sure that there's bread on the table tomorrow. But Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so I come in prayer to the Father, and He says, ask me for your bread for today. Just today's. Don't ask me for tomorrow's bread. Well, then I had to begin to say, Lord, what is this bread issue? Surely you're not just saying, give me food to eat. I mean, this is the Lord's Prayer. What does this bread mean? And I began to just think and meditate on, on what is bread and what is the place of bread in my life? Well, that came up real quick. I like to eat three times a day. And it is with great workout and exercise power that I use my muscles to push away from the table. I think I do more pushing away than pulling when I eat. Because my heart is to reach out and grab, to get what I want. And then when I get up from the table, 30 minutes later, grab in the cupboard for that other thing I wanted. I just have a little sweet taste now. You know, something to fill in the cracks. I'm full, but I'm not quite full enough. So I just want that, that ice cream because that seems to melt down and enter into all of those places that just need to be tickled with something sweet. My daily bread. I'm to ask for my daily bread. Well, I began to recognize that bread is what gives me life. Without my bread, I'm dead. My body would waste away. I would lose strength. I would finally pass. I would be anorexic, and then I would grow sick, and I'd die. I have to have bread to live. So I began to press this issue a little further. And I began to say, Lord, I have to have food for my physical body in order to stay alive. Now I do not have to have as much food as I've been eating to stay alive. 
And the Lord has been talking with me about that. And saying, you want to eat tomorrow's food today. Because in your unbelief, you don't think you'll have food tomorrow. The Lord said, ask for today's food. So I began to just wander around. And I, I share with you in my sermon preparation, the way I do it is I begin to get a hold of what the Holy Spirit is speaking to my heart. And then I begin to just meditate on it. And I'll be with Jan and she'll say, you're not with me, are you? I'll say, no, honey, I'm sorry. I'm with the Lord. He's talking to me about the sermon. All right. Everywhere I go, I'm talking with him about it. And, and I've been talking to him about bread for the last week. And he's been doing some talking to me about bread for the last week. He gave me another passage. I want to read it for you. Matthew 26, verse 26. Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and he offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. I said, Lord, you took bread and you gave thanks. Is it possible that when you said, ask for your daily bread, is it possible that what you were saying was, ask me every day for a portion of my body, that you could feast on it. Well, I'm quick to rush to the breakfast table. But the Lord is saying to my heart, would you be just as quick to rush to that daily portion of Jesus' broken body that I want to feed you with? Have you gone days on end without eating any of the body of Jesus? Are you anorexic in the spirit? Because you have not been feasting on the broken body of Jesus Christ. Some of you I fear at the point of death. Because you've been starving yourselves because you have not been asking the Father for the daily portion of the broken body of Jesus with which he wants to feed you, that you could have life. Jan and I have made a vow that the first thing we will do every morning is to go to the Lord together as a couple and ask him for his daily portion of the broken body of Jesus to feed us. Because we recognize 
if he does not feed to us that portion, that daily portion of his broken body, we're going to have no authority in ministry. We're going to have no power in the spirit. We're going to walk in despair and anger and bickering. It's the broken body of Jesus that my heart hungers after. I want more of Jesus. But it's not enough to say I want more of Jesus. I've got to get into his presence and say, oh Jesus, I need you. I need that broken portion that you have selected for me of the body of Jesus today. And to pray in faith. Now the reason we pray so little is we have such unbelief. And we have unbelief because we have prayed and nothing has happened. Reminds me of C.S. Lewis in that great story where he describes the, the people all boarding the, the train or the bus and it's headed to glory. And they get to glory and they step out of the bus and they all look like they're shadows that you can look through. And they step on the grass and they don't have enough weight to even bend the grass down so it hurts their feet when they walk on the grass, it pierces their feet because they don't have enough weight to even bend the grass in the heavenlies. Well, why would that be true? Because they haven't been feasting on the food of heaven. They've been feasting on all the food of the world. Not on Jesus. Some in this story said, no, we can't stand this brilliant light. Let's get back on the bus and let's go back to darkness. Others now began to eat. And as they began to eat, they began to notice that the grass began to bend beneath their feet. Tonight, does the grass bend beneath your feet? In the spiritual realm? Or are you a lightweight? Are you just a, a shadow in the heavenly light that you can see through? Or is there substance in your body, in your spirit man, your spirit woman? Is there substance there? So that when you step in the spirit, the grass bends beneath your feet. Get another passage of scripture with me. First Corinthians. First Corinthians. The tenth chapter. First Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Verse 14, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. 
what is idolatry? Idolatry is eating the food of the world instead of the broken body of Jesus. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf. We who are many are one body, but we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifice participate in the altar? Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are you trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Well, what Paul's trying to say to us is, look, you can't eat at the table of the Lord, eating the body of Jesus, and then go and eat at the table of demons and feast on the things of the world. It doesn't work. How I struggle with this. Let me try to, let me try to deal with this in a straightforward and honest manner. In every church, issues arise. Right now in the Vineyard Christian Fellowship Church, they have a great struggle going on over the music team. They're struggling over the music team because some like the music team and others don't like the music team. The worship time. They don't like a guitar player. They, they think the music is stale and old and and they want something fresh. And people in the congregation are saying, I can't worship the Lord with this music that's just not the kind of quality or the kind of uh, beat that I, that I need to worship. Now understand, they're saying, I can't worship God here because of a guitarist. Or I can't worship God here because of the tonal quality of the person who's singing. I can't worship God with that. Is it any surprise that Lucifer came out of the choir? That he directed the music of heaven? I would guess that a lot of his angels were choir members. Or Pastor David Wilkerson, some years ago, 
had his brother on staff as a pastor and his brother and the choir director got together and they began to talk about all the things that Pastor David was doing wrong. And after they listed out everything, they said, you know, this is foolish. Why don't we just have him removed as pastor and I'll take over as pastor of the church. And so they went to the board to have Pastor David removed and the brother put in as the pastor. And the board said no. But by that time, the the fire had begun to spread. And almost the whole choir left. Pastor David, telling us this story, was weeping. It was right after it had occurred, and he said to us, you know what I did? Ray, you know what I did? I said, no, what'd you do, Pastor? He said, I got on my face and I asked God to replace all of those people with new believers, first-time commitments. And he said, that Sunday, a very unusual thing happened. When I made the altar call, we had more people come forward and make first-time decisions than all of those who left. God sovereignly moved. I had a dream last night. It awakened me, and I began to plead with the Lord and pray. I was, I was in a hotel looking out the window, and as Jan and I stood there, we saw a violent storm come up and the lightning began to strike and suddenly the lightning a particularly powerful strike hit a transformer on a on a electric line and that transformer blew up under the impact and the explosion the fire that went up from that ignited a fire on the building across the street and it had a wooden shake roof and immediately it just went up in flames and the wind was blowing such that immediately that fire spread to the hotel where we were. That fire was just ravaging that hotel and we immediately ran and began to cry out to people, warning them about the fire, getting them out of the building. And the fire was coming down on the first floor, just sheets of flame beginning to run down the side of that building. We begin to cry out to the Lord, Oh Lord, stop this fire. People are going to perish. And suddenly, as though a hand came down over that hotel, the fire was gone. The people were saved. And I awakened. I began to say to the Lord, what is this? What is this fire that would devour? And I want to tell you what the Lord said to me in the early hours of this morning. He said, the fire that would devour is bitterness that grows in our hearts. It's bitterness that grows in our hearts because we have not been getting enough of something of the world. And so we come to church and we want, 
what the world has to offer us, even in the midst of the body of Christ. Recognition, acceptance. We want people to love us. We want to be treated a certain way by other people. We want fulfillment. We want all of the things that we want in the world. We want in the church too. And the Lord said that triggers a spirit of discontent and bitterness in our hearts. And we begin to feast on the things of the world, on the flesh of the devil, instead of on the daily portion of the Lord's blessing. He said this, this happens in marriages, where in the marriage there is growing up a, a contention between husband and wife, a disagreement that grows into more than a disagreement, that grows into something that is ugly. And that fire begins to burn. And unless a church people know how to pray, there is no way to put out that kind of fire. It will devour a marriage. It'll devour a church. It will bring such brokenness and such pain and anguish to the hearts of a family, whether a, a single family or a whole church family. And that's why we have to come now to a place where we will deny our unbelief and we will cry out to the Lord, and we will stay on our face knowing that our only hope is Jesus answering us for our marriage, for our church. I can't tell you the numbers of people who've come to this church, who've said, this is going to be my church, and then they're gone. Why? Because in their spirit, the message was too cutting, it was too hard, and there was not an adequate prayer covering to draw that person by the power of the Spirit into the heart of God. And so they leave this house, break their marriages, leave this house, dive back into their life of sin with drugs, leave this house, go back into their job with arrogance and go for money all kinds of sin that flows up out of the heart and destroys people. Because there wasn't a willingness on our part to deny our unbelief and begin to cry out to the Lord, knowing that He would answer us. I want to read for you a, a portion of a chapter out of a book entitled Holy Spirit Revivals by Charles Finney. This is how he describes what happened when there was a great revival breaking forth in a church community. Not only were prayer meetings greatly multiplied and fully attended, not only was there great solemnity in those meetings, but there was also a mighty spirit of secret prayer. Christians prayed a great deal many of them spending several hours each day in private prayer. It was also the case that 
Two or more would take the promise. If two of you agree on, any, on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Matthew 18, 19. And make some particular person a subject of prayer. It was wonderful to see how they prevailed. Answers to prayer were multiplied on every side so that no one could escape the conviction that God was daily and hourly answering prayer. If anything threatened to mar the work, if there was any appearance of any root of bitterness springing up, Christians would heed the alarm and give themselves to praying that God would direct and control all things. It was surprising to see to what extent and by which means God would remove obstacles out of the way in answer to prayer. In regard to my own experience, I will say that I could do nothing unless I had the spirit of prayer. If even for a day or an hour I lost the spirit of grace and supplication, I found myself unable to preach with power and effectiveness or to win souls by personal conversation. My experience has always been such. For several weeks before I left this church, I was very strongly burdened in prayer and had an experience that was somewhat new to me. Let me stop for just a moment. See, my heart cries that some of you have never had a burden in prayer. You don't even know what this is talking about. The only way a burden of prayer is placed on your heart is if you have been feasting on the daily portion of the broken body of Jesus so that you have the strength to bear the burden of prayer. God wants to put his burden of prayer on the National Prayer Chapel. And we're lightweights. We have bitterness between us. We have people who have a hard time talking to other people. We have issues. In our marriages, there's bitterness and there's issues. In our jobs, there's bitterness and issues. I want to tell you what God wants us to do as a church with all of our issues. He wants us to bring them to the cross. And he wants us to pray through our issues until we are assured by the Spirit of the living God that that issue is finished. He doesn't want you to bring your issues to your pastor. He doesn't want you to bring your issues to your wife or to your husband or to your friends. He wants you to take your issues about work, about marriage, about church, about friends, about everybody, about your kids. He wants you to take your issues to the cross. And there he'll say, now open your mouth. I have a daily portion of the body of Jesus to feed you. And when you chew that, when you masticate that body and you swallow it, it's like radioactive material going down into your being. And the power of God begins to break out in your life. 
See, this is why he says, every hour I have to be in an attitude of grace and supplication. Someone said tonight, I don't understand what this supplication business is. Well, let me tell you what supplication is. Supplication is when you come to a king and you are an absolute poor, poverty-stricken person and you have no basis of appeal. And so you crawl on your knees up to that king and you beseech him out of the generosity of his heart, out of the mercy of his heart, undeserving. You say, oh, sir, will you forgive my debt? Will you break my bondage? Will you set me free? I don't deserve it, but I have to have it. And he says, yes. Then you know your prayer is answered. So if your issue is fear, if your issue is unbelief, if your issue is anger, whatever your issue is, don't spread it like fire among other people. Because that fire will burn and destroy a family. That fire will burn and destroy a church community. Take that to the cross. Don't gossip about it. Don't let any bitterness rise up in your heart. Don't let any such bitter poison rise up in your heart. Forgive one another. Forgive one another. When a couple comes to me for marriage counseling, do you know what my counsel is? Let's go to the cross and let's leave everything right there. Let's leave your marriage right at the foot of the cross. Let's leave all the issues right there at the foot of the cross. Now let's get some food for you because you're hungry. Let's get your daily portion of Jesus. Now, as you begin to get that daily portion of Jesus, strength is going to flow into your being. Courage is going to flow into your heart. Your marriage is going to be restored. Nothing can stand against the cross of Jesus Christ. So you understand if you come into this sanctuary and you have lost, even for an hour, the attitude of prayer and supplication, you have entered into this place as a lightweight, destitute. You have no basis for coming before the throne of God. And you must quickly transform that by beginning to eat the broken body of Jesus. How do you eat the broken body of Jesus? You give up control. You let him be who he is. He's God. And you begin to pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven. Not my father, our father. You begin to say, oh God, let your will be done in my life. Let your will be done in our marriage. Let your will be done in the church. Let your will be done on my job. God, let your will be done. I agree with you. Do your will. That's eating the broken body of Jesus. 
Your will, not mine, O oh God. You get up in the morning. Go to where your clothes are. You say, Lord, what would you have me wear today? You say, Lord, I'll dress however you tell me to dress today. Before I came to this meeting tonight, I had to change clothes. I went into my, my closet where my clothes are. I said, Lord, you choose what you want me to wear tonight. You know the message you've given me. Now you have to dress me appropriately for the message that you've asked me to give. I'll dress however you tell me to dress. Now what if he told me to wear a robe? I'd have been here in a robe. You do what he tells you. You do what he tells you. Now listen. I found myself so borne down with the weight of immortal souls that I was constrained to pray without ceasing. Some of my experiences indeed alarmed me. Have you been alarmed by any experiences you've been having with the Lord lately? If not, you've just been avoiding the broken body of Jesus. If you have no religious experience, if you have no experience with Jesus that terrifies you, know you've been eating too much of the world. Anytime you begin to eat the broken body of Jesus, he's going to take you places that will terrify you. Listen, a spirit came upon me so strongly that I would say to God that he'd made a promise to answer prayer. And I could not, and I would not be denied. I felt so certain that he would hear me and that his faithfulness to his promises and to himself made it impossible for him not to hear and answer that frequently I found myself saying to him, I hope you do not think that I can be denied. I come with your faithful promises in my hand and I cannot be denied. Unbelief looked incredibly absurd to me. And I was certain that God would answer prayer. Those prayers that from day to day and from hour to hour I found myself offering in such agony and faith, I had no idea of the shape the answer would take, the locality in which the prayers would be answered, or the exact time of the answer. Even so, my impression was that the answer was near and I felt myself strengthened in the divine life. I put on the armor for a mighty conflict with the powers of darkness, and I expected soon to see a far more powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know why you have so little power of the Holy Spirit? Because you have not denied your unbelief. To go into the presence of God based on His promises and say, Lord God, I cannot be denied this word in your scripture. I stand by faith on this word. Instead of that, you know what we often do? 
we pray, and when God doesn't answer, we say, it's too painful to pray for that anymore. I'm just going to let it go. Maybe God doesn't want to answer me. Maybe I don't understand God's will. You know who you remind me of when you say that? Mr. Eli. He wouldn't restrain his sons. He would not call for holiness in the body. He loved his filet mignon and his lifestyle. And so he said, well, whatever God wants to do is all right with me. Well, is it, Mr. Eli? How about if I take the ark and give it to the Philistines? Is that all right with you? That's what God did. And he falls out of his chair and breaks his neck and dies. I tell you tonight, I don't want to be Eli. I want to deny my unbelief and I'm going to press into the mighty God of heaven because he cannot deny me the promises of Scripture. He is no respecter of persons. He must do what he said he would do. And so I come eating that bread, eating that daily portion of the body of Jesus Christ, feasting on that portion that he's given me for this day, and by faith coming into his presence and saying, what's happening here is intolerable. It can't happen anymore. It has to change. Until this church begins to pray in this manner, the Lord is not going to pay attention to the National Prayer Chapel. We're going to have to change the way we're praying. We're going to have to give up those hours of forgetting supplication so that when you leave this house you don't forget to pray but instead your whole day is given over to crying out to the Lord for the loss of this city crying out to the Lord oh God my marriage oh God the people at my job Oh God, look at the desperate need and press in and press in and press in until the Spirit of the living God says, okay, it's done. Claim it. God begins to raise up situations in our lives that are painful and utterly hopeless in the hope that we would finally take His promises and press into Him and not turn aside, deny our unbelief. How is it in your heart tonight? Is there bitterness and anger in your heart? Are you fueling a fire of bitterness in your marriage or in your church? or in your workplace? Has the devil risen up in your heart and told you God's never going to answer you? That it's hopeless? That you're going to always be the way you are now? That there's no deliverance at the cross? Has he lied to you? He's lied to me. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. I'll have nothing more to do with his lies.
I come before you tonight to bear witness that Jesus is merciful and compassionate and long-suffering. Emmanuel, you all right? Just chill, okay? I come tonight to simply bear witness that all of the issues that we have have to be laid at the cross. All of our anger, all of our hurts, all of our self-will, all of our past defeats have to be laid at the foot of the cross. And the Lord will hear our cry. He'll answer us.